The game is sorry. And we're thinking about sorry and the power of forgiveness. We turn to this story of Joseph. This, this man who, who suffered terrible injustice over many years finally rose to a place of power in Egypt, prime minister of Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh. His brothers sold him into slavery. There'd been various episodes of reconciliation, but as we turn in a moment to Genesis chapter 50, their dad has died and now the brothers feel vulnerable. Is forgiveness going to be sustained? Are they in danger? Let's take a look at what happened. Genesis 50 verse 15. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. And then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. You ever had um, one of those days? You ever had one of those weeks where it just seems like it may be no big tragedy, but incidentally just things seem to go wrong one after the other. I, I, I had a couple of those this week. I woke up uh, earlier this week, I, uh, as is my normal uh, early morning discipline. Uh, I couldn't find my wallet. I couldn't find my keys. I couldn't find my sunglasses. And I asked Kay, my wife, if she knew where they were, like it's her responsibility. And she gave me the helpful advice she always gives me uh, when I lose stuff, which is, where did you leave them? That's really helpful. And I'm kind of, I finally found them and I'm a little late for a meeting here. And my car is parked next to Kay's car in the garage, in the garage. And I'm in a bit of a hurry. And so I reverse out too quickly and I smack the left hand side of my car against the wall of the garage and bust a wing mirror. And I smacked the right-hand side of my car against her car. It's kind of a two-for-one deal. <laughs> and as I, as I heard the crunch and the scratch, I, I, I yelled something like, Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the next day, I, I took the case off of my phone to clean it, and I put the phone on the floor for some reason, and then... I stepped, and I heard this crunching noise, and now I'm the owner, I'm one of those sad people. You meet those people, they've got those millions of fractures in their phone, and as I heard the crunch, I said something like, oh, Hosanna. <laughs> Joseph didn't have one of those days, he didn't even have one of those decades, 13 years, 13 terrible years of slavery and prison and being a household servant. And it was all because his brothers were jealous of him. They sold him into slavery. 
This is Father's Day weekend. Joseph's dad wasn't that bright in his parenting because he very obviously saw Joseph as a favorite and made that very clear. That wasn't wise. That created jealousy. And then it all went downhill when Joseph, as we'll see, had a dream where he was in a position of superiority over his brothers. And there'd been a reconciliation about 10 years prior to what we read in Genesis 50. But now when dad has died, now the brothers are starting to feel a bit nervous. Will forgiveness last? Will bitterness return? There's a lot for us to learn as we look at this story. So let's follow along. First of all, if you're following in the, the, the bulletin, the program, watch out for the ice of bitterness. Watch out for the ice of bitterness. In the sorry game, if you get iced, that means you're frozen, you're paralyzed, you can't move anywhere. And I want to suggest that exactly that will happen to us. Bitterness in our lives becomes ice. Let's read. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundles stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you'll reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. The hand of God was on Joseph, but it didn't guarantee him an easy life. His mother died in, died in childbirth after his younger brother was born. He has this dream, and effectively, ladies and gentlemen, he is a victim of human trafficking. hear a lot about that these days, and we should. It's a scourge and a curse in our modern culture. And Joseph was trafficked into the hands of the Midianites. Now, the Midianites were infamous for their cruelty, their brutality, He's trafficked into their hands, and then they, in turn, they want to turn a quick profit, and so they traffic him to the Egyptians. And so now he spends 13 terrible years, two of them at least, in prison, before ultimately rising to a place of prominence. By the time we get to him in Genesis 50, he's in his 50s. He's become a husband, a father, prime minister of the land. And it could have easily been that not only did Joseph grow, if you will, in stature and success, it could have been that he did that but stagnated as a person. But he didn't. He grew in grace and refused bitterness. You see, putting it bluntly, bitterness is bad for us. As I've traveled around I've um, eaten some very strange things. I'm not sure whether that's grammatically correct, but I've, I've had some weird food. I went to preach um, at an anti-mafia march in Italy. That was fun. And after the march, where they guarded us with mobile machine gun emplacements, uh, we had a meal of Italian uh, deep-fried sea snake and live mussels. That was a lot of fun. Uh, here in Colorado, I, I didn't know that you could get great seafood in Colorado, and here's me having Rocky Mountain oysters. <laughs> it's okay. I know. <laughs> I've been confused by food here. When we first arrived, someone said, you want some buffalo wings? I'm like, buffaloes with wings? I didn't know that. 
And there's bad food as well. I was at a bakery one time and a lady was looking at some funnel cake. Deep fried, battered, powdered sugar, heaven on a plate. And this lady, she said to the server behind the counter, is this bad for me? (laughs) He said, ma'am, it's about the very worst thing you can put into a human body. She said, I'll take one. Sometimes we look at bitterness and we say, I'll take one. It's about the worst thing we can put into our lives. Maybe we do that because forgiving the opposite of bitterness can be very difficult. Mackenzie, speaking so powerfully last weekend, she said practicing grace can be very hard. Elizabeth O'Connor said despite a hundred sermons on forgiveness, here's another one, We do not forgive easily, nor do we find ourselves easily forgiven. Forgiveness is always harder than the sermons make it out to be. C.S. Lewis said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And you see, if you live bitter, it will distill in your life into all kinds of different negative symptoms. You'll live your life muttering and irritated and frustrated. You, you'll maybe become a chunterer. You know what chuntering is? Chuntering is when you're mad with someone and you're driving along in the car and that person is not with you. There's nobody with you in the car, but you decide you're going to tell that person what you would tell them if they were in the car and you weren't a Christian. Anybody else do this? Just slip up a little hand. I, I was doing that one time, so I can't even remember who made me mad, but I'm driving along, and but the great thing about it is you can just say what you want, and I'm like telling them. I'm really, and I'm speaking it out. And then I pulled up to a traffic light, and I'm stopped, and you know when you suddenly become aware that someone is looking at you, and they are very afraid. And I'm like, and this guy's looking at me like, what? So I, I pretended that I had a hands free. I said, well, that's it then, bye. And I pressed a button on the dashboard, which turned on my hazard warning lights. That was really stupid. But you live muttering, and, and, and little things irritate you, like, like I, get really, I get a bit irritated when I go to Sentara and I go to roundabouts. We have lots of roundabouts in England. You people, I love you. God bless America. But what's with it? You don't do roundabouts right. I, I fear for my life. It is not a four-way stop. It's a roundabout. You yield to the person on the roundabout. I was just looking at you. Some of you look really scared then. I'm just kidding with you. You're gone. Sometimes the implications, the symptoms are worse. They're more serious when you live bitter. In Claude Lansman's documentary on the Holocaust, Shoah, he 
describes a leader of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising speaking about his bitterness towards the Nazi regime with very poignant words. The man said, if you could lick my heart, it would poison you. What a contrast. Corrie ten Boom, that Christian hero of, who survived concentration camp life. And she noticed that in fellow inmates, she said those who nursed their bitterness became dysfunctional. She said it was as simple and as horrible as that. Is bitterness residual in our lives? Can, can, I, can I be really personal for a moment? I had a horrible day yesterday, and I didn't crash anything. I got a, did you ever do that? You get up and you, whatever a bear with a sore head feels like, and I'm not going to interview one to find out, but you just, and I'm wondering, and, and fed up and weary and didn't want to do this. You say, why are you sharing that, Pastor Jeff? Because, you, you know, you're a Christian leader. Well, we Christian leaders, we're not bionic. And I'm stamping around the house, and I'm like, what's the matter with me? And now, I'm not weird with this stuff, but I came to a conclusion, like about four hours into my morass. I came to a conclusion that actually I was involved in some spiritual warfare. A few weeks ago, Pastor Darry talked about battleships, the fact that there is spiritual warfare. And I felt, brothers and sisters, that as we came into this weekend, that there was something so significant that could happen. And so I was hammering away yesterday thinking, dear Lord, what's going on here? How beautiful it would be if some bitterness issues could be resolved. Secondly, Secondly, forgiveness is often a journey, not just a moment. Forgiveness is often a journey, not just a moment. Let's go back to the first time that Joseph met his brothers after those terrible years. Genesis 42. Joseph insisted, as I said, you are spies. This is how I will test your story. I swear by the life of Pharaoh, you'll never leave Egypt unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you must go and get your brother. I'll keep the rest of you here in prison. Then we'll find out whether or not your story is true. By the life of Pharaoh, if it turns out you don't have a younger brother, then I'll know you are spies. So Joseph put them all in prison for three days. Joseph didn't just say, hey, guys, someone needs a hug. <laughs> he put them in prison. He wants them to feel maybe something of what he's felt. Sometimes preachers like me can treat forgiveness like it's just do it. But very often there's a journey involved. A lady whose brother was shot in the Northern Ireland conflict. She says this, forgiveness is a journey. Today you can forgive and tomorrow you can feel pain all over again. Martin Luther King, forgiveness is not an occasional act, it's a permanent attitude. Sometimes I think we can shove people into premature forgiveness and not allow, allow them to take a journey. Joseph took a journey. I wonder whether we need to be willing to start the journey. I wonder whether some of us, we're not as far along in the journey of forgiving as we think. I've told you a few times here that when we first came to America, we had no idea about the geography of America. We didn't, we didn't realize how big this great country is. We're English, so you can drive from one end of England to another in five or six hours. And 
So we didn't have any geographical sense of the bigness of America. And we're going to live in Oregon, so we, we fly into St. Louis. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. And we fly into St. Louis, and, and uh, the kids say, aren't we going to Oregon? I say, yeah. I look at the map. It's five inches on the map. So we'll drive over tomorrow afternoon. We drive for 12 hours, we've covered half an inch. I'm ticked, baby. <laughs> I wasn't as far in the journey as I thought. I wonder, I wonder whether we need to be willing to begin a journey, whether we need to pick up a journey of forgiveness. Mackenzie said, God is a God of new beginnings. How amazing would it be if that could happen for some of us? Thirdly, thirdly, freedom and forgiving, a declaration of independence. Freedom and forgiving, a declaration of independence. Let's go back to that final episode in Genesis 15. So they sent this message to Joseph, the brothers did. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Hello, they're up to their old tricks again. Because there's nothing in the narrative that says that Jacob said that. And Joseph could have said, um, show me the letter. Show me daddy's letter. Really? Did he? But is it possible that Joseph didn't have to have everything sorted? And it's possible that they're lying even as they're apologizing. Is it possible that... He's decided that he is not going to be shackled to what they do. He's not going to be a victim. But rather, he is going to declare independence from their attitudes and forgive. He's taken control. Back in 1999, a couple, Denise Green and a her husband Bill, they discovered that their child William, who died in a British children's hospital in 1992, they discovered that for their child, together with many other children, that organs were removed from their bodies without parental permission. It was horrifying. It was an outcry, understandably, and funerals to bury the remaining organs. It was horrible. And a government spokesman said, this is unforgivable. And Denise and Bill disagreed. And they said this, what happened was out of our control. But how we respond is in our control. You see, when we choose to forgive, we are saying, I'm not tying myself any longer to what you do. I'm not waiting for you, but I am taking my destiny in my hands under God. Forgiveness is an act of independence. Forgiveness, fourthly, is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. A rather strange statement that Joseph makes, verse 19 of chapter 50. Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? Joseph is saying to his brothers, there's part of this whole deal that only God is responsible for. 
In Romans chapter 12, verse 19, there's a similar concept expressed. Listen to this, again, rather unusual verse. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Paul is saying that there are times, not every time, but there are times to just step back and say, all right, God, over to you. There are other times, criminal behavior, abuse, where you have to take responsibility. But there are times when you just have to say, God, I put it in your hands. I was reading yesterday, 1 Peter chapter 2, 23, about Jesus. And I see the same principle here. Peter says, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Listen to this. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You see, forgiveness is a three-way transaction. It involves us, it involves the person, and it can involve God helping us, handing it to him. It's an act of faith. Well, the last thing is this. What forgiveness is not. What forgiveness is not. Sorry is not a coverall word. Listen to what Joseph says. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Let's know, first of all, that the word sorry, it can be misused. Um, actually, as an Englishman, as a Brit, I think that in my culture, we're pretty good at using sorry badly. A.A. Gill uh, in his book, Hunting the English, he said, the British sorry is a prophylactic word. It protects the user and the recipient from the potentially explosive consequences of the truth. What does he mean by that? He's saying there are times when a quick sorry is a politeness strategy to avoid a deeper, more awkward conversation. Oh, sorry. L let's move on. And... Uh, <laughs> Apparently, we English are particularly guilty of this. I love this Henry Hitchens in Sorry, the English and Their Manners. He said, the readiness, the readiness of the English to apologize for something they haven't done is remarkable and is matched only by an unwillingness to apologize for what they have done. <laughs> Sorry can be misused. And, and forgiveness can be misunderstood too. Forgiving doesn't pretend that it doesn't matter, that it didn't hurt. Joseph spoke of the harm that the brothers had done. Forgiving doesn't excuse the behavior of the other person. It doesn't say, it's okay, you didn't mean it, I provoked you, you were under strain. Sometimes forgiving involves naming that as wrong. Let's face it, if it's only if it's wrong, does it need forgiving? And it doesn't mean that in forgiving, you'll, you'll forget what happened to you. It's more proactive than that. Paul Tillich said, remembering forgiving is remembering the past that it might be forgotten. Clara Barton, who's the founder of the American Red Cross, was reminded by a friend of a hurtful, cruel thing that happened to her many years earlier. And the friend said, Clara, don't you remember it? And Clara said, no, I distinctly remember forgetting it. Forgiveness doesn't mean retrusting. If Joseph's brothers had said, hey, let's go out into the desert. 
just the 12 of us together. I think if I was Joseph, I'd have said, thank you, but no, I'm allergic to pits. <laughs> you lend your car to someone, they wreck it. I feel hypocritical saying this this weekend. <laughs> you can forgive them. You might not quickly lend them your car again. Forgiving someone and retrusting them are separate concepts and need to be kept separate in our thinking. But whatever it means, however long the journey, God wants us to be a people who do not live in the acid reflux of bitterness. Don't mishear that. I'm not saying if you struggle with that health issue that it's because you're bitter. If you hear that, you'll get bitter with me and that's not helpful. What I'm saying is that just as acid burns and hurts and so bitterness will choke our souls. And as we think about Joseph, as we think about sorry, Perhaps in this weekend, which I believe has an atmosphere of tenderness about it, some new beginnings could be birthed. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your extravagant love. We've been celebrating it. Thank you for your forgiveness. We'd love to be able to be people who pass it around. I pray, Lord, that you'll help me in these next few moments to not only speak tenderly to your people, but to be sensitive to your spirit and to frame what we're going to do in a way that will be helpful and healing. I'm going to ask three questions, and I'd like to invite you to respond. The first is if you need to say sorry to another person, genuinely, authentically. You know it's time for you to take action. Your arms have been folded. Maybe you've been waiting for them. But it is time to bring repair. Sorry. Sorry. If that's you, as our heads are bowed, I'd love to include you in a prayer in a moment. Would you just slip up your hand as a proactive way of responding and saying, yeah, that's me. Do it now. Do it now. Thank you. Secondly, I wonder how many of us, it's in the area of forgiving. And I'm not going to ask you to make an instant decision. And it might be, you're saying to God, I want to be willing to be willing to forgive. Right now, I don't want to forgive that person. You're thinking. But a willingness to allow the Lord to take you on a journey of forgiving if that's you would you slip up your hand please as I look around just do it now do it now thank you you can lower your hands lastly I wonder how many of us we need to say sorry to God because it's time for us to turn from our own lives and turn our lives over to Jesus and invite him to take charge become a Christian and that involves repentance, which includes sorry.
Not asking God, we're not asking God just to bless us or help us, get us out of the mess. We're asking Jesus to take charge of our lives because we want to, from this day, be followers of his. You want to become a Christian. If that's true for you, would you just slip up your hand for a moment and hold it there and then put it down? Do it now. Thank you. Thank you. So you know our journeys, Lord. You know where we are. And we choose to believe that you arrange these events like this weekend at Timberline for our help and health. We pray for those for whom sorry needs to be an authentic word and attitude. We pray for those who are looking to you to take their hand and help them to unclench the clenched fist that their heart has become. We pray for those who are making a choice to become followers of Jesus today and we thank you for them. And we pray that you will reveal yourself deeply to them by your spirit. So we give you praise and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, everybody said.